0: Shalom. I don't know if you caught this. The Israeli Supreme Court issued a landmark ruling this week, did you see that? Requiring that people converted to Judaism in Israel, under the auspices of the Reform and Conservative movements, be recognized as Jews and registers, registered as citizens under the law of return. The court, a secular body interpreting secular law, said nothing about orthodox standards of conversion. Orthodox rabbis are free to apply whatever standards of conversion they want. Their conversions will continue to be recognized by the State of Israel. But the court ruled that it is unlawful to permit only orthodox converts to be recognized As Jews by the State of Israel. To discriminate against Reform and Conservative Jews by choice is now constitutionally impermissible for the first time. Now, most people not immersed in the eccentricities and idiosyncrasies of Israeli politics would respond. Of course. Why is this even controversial? Democracies do not permit discrimination. The court of nine justices was unanimous on the merits, although one justice voted to allow the state more time to come up with a political compromise. The court clearly preferred that the Knesset — Israel's parliament — Act rather than forcing a judicial solution. But year after year, for 15 years, the court granted extension after extension to the government to come up with some politically viable and constitutionally acceptable solution. And finally, this week, the court said, Enough! The harm imposed on the petitioners who have been waiting since 2004 could not justify another extension. The reason that the Knesset never acted is because of the iron grip that the ultra-Orthodox parties have on matters of religion and state in Israel. They were granted a monopoly over religious life at the founding of the state. Israel's first Prime Minister, David Ben-Gurion, never dreamt that this concession to the then small ultra-Orthodox community in Israel would balloon to the near-total dominance of today. I'd like to make three general comments. One — ultra-Orthodox control over religious matters in Israel is not good for Israel, it is not good for Judaism, it is not even good for orthodoxy. Power corrupts — and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. The ultra-orthodox grip has coarsened Israeli society and damaged Judaism itself. Most Israelis despise the brand of Judaism exhibited by these Haredi parties. And they are not who you think they may be. Erase the fiddler-on-the-roof stereotype in your mind — or the picture of the modest, brilliant, polite scholar poring over sacred Texts who seeks to bring the word of God to fellow Jews and to the world entire. There are many such people in the Haredi world: kind, modest, decent. But the Haredi Israeli parties represent and pursue the most radical, the most extreme, the least modern, the least representative values in the entire Jewish world. They reject the principles of democracy that we take for granted. They are anti-feminist, anti-gay, anti-pluralistic, anti-secular and are not even Zionists. Can you imagine? None of the ultra-Orthodox members of Knesset today would proclaim openly that he is a Zionist. And they are the ones who are playing such a decisive role in determining matters of religion and state in Israel and defining the Israel-Diaspora relationship. Them I was involved personally in this conversion struggle. Before arriving at Stephen Wise, I led the North American Reform Movement Zionist arm, representing our movement in Israel and helping to strengthen the Israeli Reform Movement. I myself was often the target of these Haredi attacks. Here is a sample of what was said about us back then, and they continue to believe. There are no rules in our war against reform. It is a way of hatred. Experience proves that with reform you fight wars, you don't compromise. The conservatives compromised and became reformed themselves. When in the 1990s the Israeli Supreme Court recognized your right to claim Israeli citizenship under the law of return. That any person converted by a reformer conservative rabbi abroad is recognized by the Jewish state under the law of return. The ultra orthodox parties reacted furiously. The Supreme Court acknowledged reform conversion. They convert over the phone. There are 150,000 non Jewish Russian immigrants in Israel. That was then. Is today, they're over a million. They will do all of this, 150,000 in one month. They will create chaos in Israel. Who will stop all of this? To all of the Jews by choice here and who are watching online, you write to me and describe to me the nature of your phone conversion. Like, I've never met even one of you before, and I've been a rabbi for 30 years. If you write to me and detail to me how your phone conversion unfolded, I might be able to learn some techniques of phone conversions and save a lot of time. And here's a headline from this week Haredi, I don't know if you can see this, Haredi party likens reform and conservative converts to dogs with kipot. If somebody non-Jewish said this, how would we react? How would we characterize that statement? Another ultra-orthodox party, Shas, accused us this week of plotting to convert tens of thousands of migrant workers in Israel. They express real hatred for fellow Jews, contrary to the highest commands of Judaism. Lo tisna et achicha bilvavcha. Do not hate your fellow Jews. The Torah mandates. Kol Yisrael All Jews are responsible one for the other, the Talmud commands. Where does this hatred come from? This is what unchecked political power does. It corrupts Jewish values. There is supposed to be a Jewish neshama, a Jewish soul that seeks kindness and gentleness. The Torah's ways are ways of pleasantness and all its paths are peace. The Talmud asks, what is said of someone who studies Torah but does not deal honorably and does not speak pleasantly with people. Woe to that person who studied Torah. Woe to his father who taught him Torah. Woe to his teacher who taught him Torah. The ultra-Orthodox monopoly in Israel distorts Judaism and warps Israel's relationship with world Jewry. Look at the damage they cause. Arrogance oozes out of them. The opposite of the modesty that Judaism so prizes and expects, especially from its rabbis and leaders. They cause needless hatred among Israeli citizens and between Israel and world Jewry. They are not representative of the Jewish world, they are fringe, the most extreme elements of Jewish life. Now, I want to reiterate and emphasize again. Everyone has the right to believe whatever they want to believe. There are elements of the Haredi world that I deeply admire. Many ultra Orthodox Jews are kind, decent, caring. I wrote a book with an ultra Orthodox colleague who was the most pleasant and most brilliant scholar of Judaism you would ever want to engage. The issue is not what they believe. Live your lives any way you choose. Fight the good ideological fight. If you think we are dangerous to Judaism, convince people that you are right. And if you are convincing enough, most Jews will follow you, not us. The issue is not their right to believe whatever it is they want to believe. The issue is the political power granted exclusively to this unrepresentative ultra-orthodoxy to enforce their beliefs and coerce behavior through law. Time after time, on issue after issue, the court determined that these coercions are impermissible. They violate civil rights and human dignity. The decision this week puts another little chink in the armor of the ultra-Orthodox monopoly, and anything that weakens their grip over political life in Israel is a good thing for the rest of us. Two, therefore, the ultra-Orthodox reaction will be furious. They will do everything in their power. To compel the Knesset to legislate overturning the Supreme Court decision. I know that this is what they will do. They did it the last time when we won on overseas conversions. I have first-hand knowledge of what will happen because I lived it already. The first time I met Prime Minister Netanyahu was in the late 1990s. It was his first term. I led a large delegation of reform rabbis on an emergency mission to Israel. We went straight from the airport to the prime minister's study. We were late. We were five hours late, so the meeting began at midnight. He waited for us. And we didn't finish until 1:30 a.m. Mind you, this is coming right off the plane after 12 hours. some rabbis traveled for 24 hours on the way to the hotel. It was about 1.40 in the morning, the bus driver turned on the radio, and we heard a live report of the conclusion of our meeting with the Prime Minister. We cautioned the Prime Minister not to give in, that it would open a chasm between the Jewish state and world Jewry. We made the point that, as damaging as the general disenfranchisement of our movement in Israel is, if the court recognized A right to take it away, to legislate a law overturning that decision, would cause enormous harm and would grow year after year. It's one thing not to have a right recognized. It is another thing to take away a recognized right. We made the same point to the Prime Minister several years ago on the Western Wall Agreement. It's one thing to ignore egalitarian worship at the Kotel, as damaging and as frustrating as that is, but to do what the Prime Minister did to propose a compromise, to have the government approve it, and then to walk away from your own proposal because of ultra orthodox political pressure would cause grave harm to the Israel diaspora relationship. And sadly, But predictably, we were right. Of course we were right. We are experts on American Jewry. Most members of the Knesset know we are right. The Prime Minister knows this. There was a time that I had a personal relationship with dozens of members of Knesset. Everyone understood the damage being done domestically, in Israel, and in terms of Israel's relationship with world Jewry. They just couldn't ignore – and still cannot ignore – the immense political power granted to the Haredi parties. If they wanted to govern, they needed to make the concessions the ultra-Orthodox parties demanded. And thus they became enablers. This is what will happen again, unless those parties are thwarted. Three. Therefore, we must mobilize the American Jewish community in two ways. First, to offer as much support as possible to the forces in Israel that seek to rectify this sorry situation, including and first and foremost our own movement in Israel. The majority of Israelis have their own reasons for disdaining Haredi control of religious life. It is properly a decision for Israelis — they are the ones who vote, they pay taxes, and they live with the ramifications. But we can support the ongoing effort to dismantle this monopoly. And second, that these matters are decided in Israel does not mean that we have no role Israel, by its own self-definition, is the national home of the Jewish people. It exists not only for its own citizens, who properly decide Israeli policies. It exists also for world Jewry, by its own self-definition. So while overseas Jews do not have a vote, we have a voice. And I want to take a moment to turn to our partners in the Jewish world. Federations, the Jewish Agency for Israel, APAC who will be with us in our synagogue very soon, the anti-defamation League who, with whom we work all the time, the American Jewish Committee with whom we work all the time, the Conference of presidents, and all the pro, Israel organizations who work to strengthen Israel's international standing and deepen the Israel-diaspora relationship, including our friends in the modern orthodox and centrist orthodox movements, who themselves recognize and lament the harm that this Haredi monopoly causes, turn to all of them. Where are you? We've hardly heard a peep from you. A voice that is usually so loud and so clear on so many issues has gone silent on this issue. Have you lost your voice? It's become muffled under the COVID-19 masks. Some of them have issued weak statements. Most have said nothing. This too is part of an historical pattern. I saw it firsthand. I lived through it. When it came time to push back suddenly on this issue, they lost their voice. They want to partner with us on everything. All the time, I get communications from these organizations, do this, do that. Let's work together, not on this issue. Let the reform movement and the conservative movement fight this on their own. I want to say to them, it is your fight — 85 to 90 percent of American Jews are not orthodox. Most of your support, most of your people, most of your financing come from the non-orthodox community. You cannot sit this out. First, because we won't let you. And second, because if American Judaism's bond with Israel is further weakened, it will weaken all of us. You can't avoid the damage. To all those listening, all those who are active in any organization of the American Jewish establishment, contact the leadership of these organizations and insist that they make their voices heard now mobilize with others in the organization to pass resolutions of support for the Israeli Reform and Conservative movements. This is the critical time now. We have relearned in these years the urgency of pushing back against extremism. We have learned that to ignore extremists, to enable them, is to strengthen The reason we care so much in the first place is that we love Israel. We are committed to Israel, not uncritically but unconditionally. We are Zionists, unlike most Haredi Jews. And so to all those who love Israel, who seek to strengthen the bonds of world Jewry, who are committed to Jewish life and to the Jewish state. It's your fight. And if not now, when? Now is the time.